Hello, my friends. Michael Youssef here, and I just wanted to thank you for connecting with Leading the Way. Our entire team is wholly committed to passionately proclaiming uncompromising truth of God's Word, and it cannot be done without you. Learn more about what God has charged us to do around the world by clicking around ltw.org. That's ltw.org. Thank you, and may God richly bless you as you seek to serve Him. Whenever we face a crisis of global proportion, like the one we are facing right now, there are all sorts of opinions and information, and some of that information is false, some of it is true, but rumors start flying. I know, you already heard this a million times. These are unprecedented days. This is an unprecedented crisis. This is a pandemic like we have never experienced in our lifetime. And it's all true. In fact, not only our lifetime, but in history. I am not aware of any time in history where between one and a half billion to two billion people globally who are being quarantined in 150 countries. I have never read anywhere in history this kind of proportion this global economic system that is in danger of teetering or possibly collapsing, that is very new. We have been close to the edge before, but we never got to the edge. But my purpose today is not to rehash the information that you're hearing about when you're hearing from television, you're hearing from the media all day long. No. My natural inclination, and I know that it is the natural inclination of all Bible-believing Christians, is to ask the question, Lord, what are you teaching us? What is God teaching us in the middle of this crisis, in the middle of this global panic? What is God saying to His people? What lessons that He wants His people to learn from this? It is important that we ask that question in times of crisis, whether it be personal crisis or be family crisis or whether it be national crisis or be like today, a global crisis. Whatever we are, whenever you get to a crisis, you must always ask the question, God, what do you want to teach me? In these inexplicable times in which we live, there's only one place where you can find an answer to these questions, and it is in the infallible Word of God. The prophet Joel was speaking to God's people during his time, during one of the toughest economic crises that Israel has ever faced. And you read chapter 2, and you think there's an invading army coming in. But no, no, he's not talking about the foreign army invading. He's talking about locusts that are coming into the land. Even in 2020, I just read and seen the news every day, there is an army of locusts by the millions are devouring East Africa, and there's a danger that within a few months there's going to be a devastation in East Africa. In the year 2020, just as in year 2020, the coronavirus is threatening a global devastation, fear and panic. During that time, in which God's people were facing 
those kinds of situations. The prophet Joel speaks of this invading army of locusts that is invading the land. This is not a devastating war, but it's a devastating tiny little insect. Army of locusts. For an agrarian society like theirs at the time, I mean, there's nothing could be more devastating. An invading army wouldn't do as much damage as these locusts were doing. As a matter of fact, if you read history back in 1915, there was such a locust invasion in the land of Israel and in all of Syria. It literally left the land very dry. The devastation of 1915 began in March of that year and kept going until June of that year. During those four-month period, the land was literally stripped bare of every green thing, vines, uh, fig trees, groves, grass. Everything was devoured. We are in a modern replica of what the prophet Joel and the people of God were experiencing at that time. Coronavirus or COVID-19 is a tiny little virus. You can't see it with the eyes. And yet it is sweeping across the globe, not just in a specific location, but globally, 150 countries plus. So the question in both situations, at the time of Joel, as in our time, what is the Word from God? What is God speaking to us? What is God saying to us? What does God want us to learn? Please hear me right on this one. When you hear or read the prophet Joel, particularly chapter 2, I know that there are some people, some people, who are at the sound of my voice and not going to like it. They're not going to like it. Why? Because most of us want to live in denial of reality. Most of us want the quick fix. Most of us want someone to tell us, oh, everything is going to be all right. We will defeat this. We will beat this. We will overcome this. Our scientists will not be defeated by a little virus. We want to be told that science can save us, that our ingenuity will save us. A friend of mine just sent me early this morning, he sent me a blog, Two Atheist Doctors in Italy. It's the most moving thing I've ever read. These two atheist doctors in Italy said that they no longer are atheists, but they are believers simply because they stood helplessly in front of that tiny little virus. And now they were declaring their belief in God as they were writing this blog. Listen to me. I know we want to hear a word of hope in the midst of this devastation. I know that we want to find a silver lining in this cloud. I know that I want somebody to discover a breakthrough. And believe me when I tell you, I pray every single day that God supernaturally somehow gives us a breakthrough. But listen, let's hear God and hear what He has to say in the midst of the crisis, that before it gets worse, let's heed God's Word, lest our trouble is multiplied. Let's accept God's medicine that is worthy of the name. Now, I don't want you to, 
for a moment to think that I'm an unfeeling person. Forty years of retirement savings being devastated. The question is, I'm saying this to show you that I am not made of stone. I'm not made of metal. I have a feeling too. I have a stake in this too. But I've also learned that the quicker we learn the lesson that God has for us, the quicker we get to the victory side. The first thing Joel warns us of is this. This crisis, and whatever crisis we're facing, is a minuscule example of the crisis that's going to be in the day of judgment, the dreadful day that the Bible talks about. I'm sure some of you probably by that time say, well, wait a minute, Michael. This is not a time to talk about the coming judgment. Michael, this is not the time to speak of the future judgment. Michael, this is not the time to speak of negative, in negative terms. Michael, this is not a time to speak of doom and gloom. <laughs> I don't want to do that, trust me. But I believe the prophet Joel would want to say to us, yes, but this is God's loving wake-up call. This is God's loving warning. This is God's gracious invitation to everyone at the sound of my voice. This is God's merciful alarm bell. For if we are not prepared to deal with a small virus, what are we to do when we face a day of judgment? Let me read to you verses 1 and 2, Joel chapter 2. Blow the trumpet in Zion, sound the alarm in my holy hill. Let all who live in the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming and is close at hand. Verse 2, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of cloud and blackness, like dawn spreading across the mountain. A large and mighty army comes, such as never was of old, nor ever will be again in the ages to come. Thank God that the Word of God does not just give us a warning, does not just send an alarm bell, but the Word of God tells us what to do in such a time. Thank God that the Word of God does not leave us high and dry. It tells us what to do in such a time. God's Word tells us what to do in times of global crisis, in times of global pandemic. First of all, He wants us to view every crisis, every crisis, not just this crisis, but every crisis, especially the one because we're in the middle of it. He wants us to view that as a dress rehearsal. This is a dress rehearsal of the day of judgment that is coming, of that big and dreadful day that's coming. He's reminding us that the big one is coming. Back in 1977 and 78, we only had two children at the time, and we moved to Pasadena, California. We lived in Southern California. And I remember clearly, and I will never forget, my wife and I will never forget, that the housing authority on campus sat us down in the office, and they began to explain to us all about earthquakes in Southern California. <laughs> they instructed us about what to do and where to go. 
In fact, they told us uh, certain things to do now before the big one happens. Uh, They told us that the bookshelves has to be a certain height. It cannot be higher than a certain height. Uh, The walls must never have anything heavy hanging on it. They said that every trimmer should be a preparation for the big one. They kept calling it the big one, the big one. And I know they still talk about the big one even now. They said every earthquake should remind you that the big one is coming, that the big one is inevitable. And so we literally lived for those two years in Southern California prepared for the big one. Whenever the big one, we had tremors, we had, uh, you know, low-level earthquakes. Every time it happens, we remembered the big one is coming. And that's exactly what the prophet Joel is saying here. He said, don't waste this crisis. Don't waste this dress rehearsal. Don't waste this warning signs. Don't waste God's alarm bells. And the problem is, my beloved friends, is that most of us, including yours truly, is we have a short attention span. We forget our lessons very, very quickly. But Joel is saying, find out what God is saying during the hard times. Find out what God is teaching you during these difficult and challenging days. Let them be a reminder of the day that is coming when God will shake everything that is to be shaken. Prepare yourself for the big one. How? How? How would you prepare? He gives us two ways. Two ways by which we prepare. First of all, this is my own words, not the prophet Joel. He's saying, tear away the idols out of your heart. Don't tear your hair. And secondly, he says, lead others to worship and bow down to the living God. Don't join in their panic. Don't fret like they are. But instead, let them see your confidence in your God. First of all, he says, tear the idols out of your life, not your hair. I know we have a saying when we're having a hard time or difficult day, say, I'm, I'm tearing my hair out. You see, in Israel, there was a tradition. And the tradition was when a person is in deep grief, is in deep mourning, would be actually tear his clothes. You see it all the time in the Old Testament. And he tore his garments, and he tore his garments. And what it really symbolizes that in the tearing of that fabric is symbolic of the tearing of a life. But like all traditions, some would go through the motions of tearing their garments without inner transformation. Outward symbols gave way to mere tradition. They kept their tradition, but they lost the meaning. They tore their clothes, but they kept their hearts intact. They went through the outward appearance, but they did not inwardly change. After all, it is much easier to go through the outward motions. It's much easier to just be willing to do anything to get out of the crisis for the time being. Even atheists pray in time of crisis. 
Voltaire, the world's most famous French atheist in the 1700s, he said that he prayed once to God when he was caught in a blizzard as he was traveling in the Alps. And that is why the prophet Joel said, in times of crisis, it is your heart that needs radical change, not your circumstances. It is your heart that needs transformation, not the economy. It is your heart that needs complete surgery, not your situation. Look at verses 12 and 13. Even now, declares the Lord, meaning it's never too late. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all of your heart, with fasting and with weeping and with mourning. Rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for He is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. So instead of looking at the current crisis and blissfully, as some probably do, say, where is God? Where is God? Why doesn't He do something? Accept this as His loving warning to you and to me and to all of us so that we may repent and turn to Him before it's too late. What is this rending of the heart that He's talking about? What is this repentance that He's talking about? Oh, it is the acknowledging, the confessing, the forsaking of all that has become an idol for you and for me. Beloved friends, I want you to listen to me very carefully, please. Our greatest need today is to acknowledge and to confess that we have placed our hopes on money and possession, that we have placed all of our hopes on credit cards and borrowing money that we could never pay back. We have placed our concerns more on a status symbols, not the glory of God, that we have spent more time in front of the television instead of being in the Word of God, that we have spent more time on entertainment and on sports than sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with our neighbors. Materialism and that ministry have become the object of our affection. Worship is something we do when it is convenient, whenever we get to it, whenever we can do it, not as a priority one in life. Prayer is mere telegraphic prayer when we are in trouble. It's something we do when we need something from God, not a lifestyle. But God wants us to be serious about acknowledging these idols. Then tear them out by repenting and forsake them. When our kids are plugged into phones and computers and television, more than learning from the Word of God, we have a crisis in the land. Some kids, as soon as they turn 16, they want the latest model car. Our expectations have gone beyond mere reason. We have placed so much more importance on materialism and accumulation than we have on sacrificial giving. No wonder people are panicking right now. No wonder people 
are terrified right now. No wonder they see their idols being snatched away from them. If we don't voluntarily turn and tear those idols out, God is going to help us. He will take them out. God is going to do this out of love and compassion for us. God is telling us to turn to Him while we still can turn to Him while there is still time. Have you ever asked yourself the question, where was Jesus when He was praying to the point of sweating blood, literally blood coming out, while He was praying? No, that was, did not happen in Pilate's Hall of Justice. No. It did not happen even on His way to the cross. No. It did not happen during the trial, but it took place in the Garden of Gethsemane. Hebrews 5, 7 tells us, There He offered prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to Him who's able to save Him. Perhaps if you and I were there watching Him praying with blood, tears, sweat of blood, if we witnessed that hour of agony, we would probably say, wow, if He's broken that like this here in the Garden of Gethsemane, in prayer like this, what is He going to do when He faces the real crisis of the cross? Why didn't He just approach the Garden of Gethsemane with calm and wait? Let's wait and see what happens. It may get better. Who knows? Why worry about it now? Why didn't He just sleep like the three other disciples? (laughs) Here is a fact. At the time of the cross, Jesus walked to the cross with courage, while all His disciples fled and left Him alone. Have you ever thought about that? Why? Listen to me. I'm going to tell you why. Because He was already prayed up in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was totally prepared. After spending time with God, He faced the crisis with confidence. He took notice of that big one before it happened. Now, beloved, listen to me. A lifestyle of repentance, a lifestyle of idol tearing from our lives will make you face any crisis in life with calm and confidence. A lifestyle of repentance will not cause you to fear any challenge in life. A repentant lifestyle will make you not even fear the day of judgment itself, the big one. In fact, you will welcome it. You will face it with confidence. Why? Because you have already been tearing away the idols from your life, and you're already delivered from the day of judgment. And you're ready. You're ready for any eventuality. You're prepared. Joel is saying that somehow, somewhere in God's economy, in His sovereign plan, in His sovereign character, He responds favorably to genuine repentance. You see, it's throughout the Scripture, not just here. 
He loves to stay His judgment. He loves to relent from judgment. In fact, God is looking for an excuse to delay His judgment. He longs to have mercy. He longs to hold judgment. He longs to hold devastation. He longs to hold the natural consequences of human rebellion against Him. It's part of His sovereign character. You see it again and again in the pages of the Scripture. He responds to a genuine cry of His children. He does. You've experienced it, and so did I. Secondly, lead others to come to know and worship the living God. Don't get into the frenzy of fretting like they are, because they're going to look at you and say, well, you're just like in the same boat as I am. If you read verses 15, 16, and 17 of Joel chapter 2, you would say, you would say, well, this was just for the leaders of the church. And I think you'll be right. You'll be exactly right. Leadership that does not lead by example is not worthy of the name. It's not worthy of the name. In the New Testament, of course, the Bible tells us that all the believers are priests. We are kingdom of priests. And that is why those verses are important to everyone who is listening to me right now. Everyone. They are important to pastors, yes. They are important to moms and dads, yes. They are important to Sunday school teachers, yes. They are important to small group leaders, yes. They are important to everyone who is a priest, called to be a priest, to intercede between the world and God. Listen to the words of Joel again. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Declare a holy fast. Call a sacred assembly. Gather the people. Consecrate the assembly. Bring together the elders. Gather the children. Those who are nursing at the breast. Let the bridegroom leave his room. Let the bride leave her chambers. Let the priests who minister before the Lord weep between the temple porch and the altar. Let them say, Spare your people, O Lord. Don't make your inheritance an object of scorn, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? It was a Jewish tradition in times of crisis to sound the shofar on these special days. It served the purpose of assembling of God's people. Of course, we can't be assembled right now, but I know we are assembled around the globe. We are assembled in the presence of God. God looks down, and He may see us all scattered all over the nation, all over the state, all over the city, all over the world, but He sees us. We can call a fast. We can sound the trumpet. And they're supposed to call the people to gather together in unity. They are to gather together in humility, to humble themselves in prayer and in fasting, in rededication of their lives. If God is saying anything today, He is saying to us, believers, in every area of your responsibilities, sound the alarm. Sound the alarm. Remind the people of the shortness of time before judgment comes. Don't get sucked in with the soft proclamation of the gospel. Don't fall in the trap 
of soothing talk and positive thinking preaching. That type of smooth talking never adequately forewarns people of that dreadful day that is coming. Parents, call your children, wherever you are. Just call your children around you for a time of prayer and repentance and dedication as a family. Believers everywhere at the sound of my voice in those serious times, in those difficult days, in those devastating circumstances, it should be reminded, all of us, of the day of judgment that is coming. And it's going to be a whole lot worse than coronavirus or the stock market falling down, losing third or more than third of its value. It's going to be worse than that. Therefore, I call upon you, come to the only one who may have mercy on us, the one who can take the economy up or he can take it down, the only one who can take the employment up or take it down. The political winds blow in different directions, but the one thing you can be sure about is that God responds to the genuine cries of His children. Therefore, call upon Him uh, throughout the Scripture. This has been the longing of God's heart. You see it over and over again, particularly in the book of Hosea. It vividly reveals to us the brokenness of God's heart when He sees His children turning after other things and forsaking Him. And God says, look at Hosea. Look how brokenhearted he is when his wife, Goma, is running after other men and being unfaithful to her husband. He said, look at him. Look how heartbroken he is. And now that's how I feel when my children, when my people forsake me and focus on everything else in life except me, who have redeemed them. God is saying, this is how I feel about my children when they forsake me when they place their affection and their time and their money and their energy on other things. There may be someone who's listening to me right now to whom this message, which is to believers, is premature because you have not come to Jesus Christ confessing your sin, repenting of your sin, and receiving Him as your only Savior and Lord. You haven't come to first stage yet. You need to do that now. You need to do that today. Today. Today you can surrender to Him. Today you can say, I am sorry I've been into religion. I'm sorry I've been involved in all kinds of rituals. But now I receive Jesus as my only Savior and Lord. Lord Jesus, I have lived for self. I know I cannot save myself. Lord Jesus, You are the only one who died on that cross so that I may live eternally with you in heaven. And you can pray that prayer right now and mean it with all of your heart. And the Lord Jesus says that He will come and dwell in you in the person of His Holy Spirit. You have His Word on it. You have His Word on it. Father God, you know where everyone is, and you know where every heart is placed. I pray for that person who may be a religious person but never really had a personal encounter with the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who came from heaven 
lived as the poorest of the poor, died on a cross to pay for his wages and her wages of sin. Father, I pray for that person. This be the day in which they will surrender to you and receive you as the only Savior and the only Lord. And Father, for those of us who have known you, and some of us have known you for a long time, and yet our hearts and our affection have been set on other things and on other people, wonderful, important as they may be, we have taken our eyes off you. Forgive us, forgive us, and come and answer our prayers because we know you to be the God of mercy and the God of grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 